You're listening to Bodyful, a podcast that explores the wonder and complexities of living in this human form and how we can engage in an ongoing practice of bodyfulness to become more fully at home in ourselves and in the interconnected web of Gaia, the living earth. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and I'm the founder of the Gaia Center for Embodied Healing, where we support folks in their growth and healing work with somatic psychotherapy and embodiment practices. We hear all the time about the importance of being mindful, and it's time to invite our bodies to the party. Welcome to Bodyful. Hey friends, if you're listening to this shortly after it airs, then we are right in the thick of the between Thanksgiving and other winter holidays madness where everything sort of blurs together and we all feel much more stressed than really, you know, the season should call for. Um, So whatever that may look like for you, I mean, it's, I feel like with almost two years into this pandemic, we're all sort of more accustomed to the blurring of days, the wrinkle in time where things move slowly and quickly all at once. Um, and it's sort of just like a heightened version of that, at least for for me and for a lot of people I know during this time of year. So whatever that is for you, as always, be gentle. Oh, there is some kind of crazy drill noise coming from outside my window right now. I don't know if y'all can hear it, but I'm just gonna just gonna proceed. It kind of sounds like an animal, but it's definitely a power tool. <laughs> um, so I don't have a lot that I want to get into in the intro. Um, this is just a fabulous conversation with a really badass woman. So I can't wait for you to hear it. And let's just jump right in. Our guest today is Barb Puzanova, and I I think I did it right again the second time you'll hear in the interview. I'm like, yes, I did it. She is a first-generation Czech-American, born in Texas, raised in Nashville. She's an Enneagram 1, Wing 2, a Cancer, um, and she is passionate about joyful movement. She is health at every size, trained and aligned. She's an intuitive eating counselor. And honestly, just like a breath of fresh air in the fitness community where it is so needed right now and always. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Um, You can find Barb online at thenondiettrainer.com and on Instagram at nondiet underscore trainer. And she'll tell you at the end about a program that she will be running the seventh cohort of starting in January 2022. So keep an eye on her Instagram for more info on that. Um, or shoot her an email, which you can find on her website. Uh, so without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Barb. We are here today with Barb Puzanova. I got that right, didn't I? So proud. Yes. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, where's that from? It's the yeah. Czech Republic. Oh, yeah. awesome. Is it, are you several generations back or just a couple? 
just one. So my parents oh, wow. both moved from the Czech Republic here uh, in God, 1991 or 1992. Wow. I don't want to screw that up, but yeah. back in the 90s. Yeah. Very <laughs> I was cool. born in Texas though, for real. <laughs> Where? In Dallas. Okay. I'm from Texas too. Nice. Awesome. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Very nice. And, and you're now sitting in snowy Buffalo, New York. That's it. That's right. But based here in Nashville, how long have you lived in Nashville? I've lived in Nashville since 2002. So I definitely consider myself like part of the Nashville community for a while now. Um, Went to Vanderbilt. So I'm really just down the road um, from my family's house. After that, I know we talked about this um, just before this episode, my parents kind of moved to Buffalo towards the end of my college Mm -hmm. career. Um, And so I ended up moving back into the same house. So I'm there now with my partner, uh, Danny, I guess my fiance now uh, with our new dog, Betsy. She is an absolute angel. (laughs) Awesome. Little holiday visit. Mm -hmm. Well, before we dig into our conversation, which I'm super excited for, uh, let's drop in. So just get comfortable as always for folks listening. Um, If you want to join us, wonderful. If you're driving, just be safe. Keep your eyes open and alert and just allow your breath to settle into its natural rhythm. Let the shoulders fall away from the ears. Really feeling the support of the surface holding you up. The support of your own frame holding you up. And allowing room for whatever is present, whatever is emerging to be here, even if that may be tension, a little pain, anxiety, maybe also some pleasant things you might be noticing or neutral things. Just becoming present to it all. And noticing what you're holding in your heart this morning. Just take another big full breath in and out. If the eyes are closed, let them blink open. Maybe give a little wiggle. And what did you notice this morning? I'm laughing as I was coming out. I was like, I have to itch my eye. Um, <laughs> I always notice when I sit in in meditation, it's maybe like been a while. I just get itchy. <laughs> There's like mm-hmm. all these sensations that suddenly come up and need my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, notice some like, 
I don't know what to call it. It's kind of that onset, you know, when you just kind of feel a little bit sick or you're like, it's starting to kind of come up. So there was like some tension around the forehead, some like, you know, some stuffiness in the throat. But also then when you're talking about getting comfortable, it's like, oh, I'm actually wearing like fairly comfortable clothing, Um, you know, just feel very, very cozy right now. Um, But yeah, just kind of noticing both and of the like, oh, there's like some unpleasant things, but also there's some really pleasant things as well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And unpleasant and unpleasant at the same time. So kind of letting that be here instead of trying to be like, oh, no, I'm totally fine. So just noticing. Yeah, I I was in my uh, a Dharma talk with my little online Sangha last night and my teacher was talking about like how the the path of Dharma, the practice of meditation, like at least from the angle in which, you know, we're kind of exploring it. It's not about like reaching this state of like bliss where we're just Mm. absent of any kind of pain or tension. It's like, no, it's showing up with all of that. And I think sometimes there's a lot Mm. of distortion um, in the wellness and spirituality spaces around what, what, what are we doing here? What's the goal? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That there's some end goal. And once you reach it, like you're good to go. Um, Yeah. And I honestly like feel that the teachers that are really honest about that, those are the people that I connect to most. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, cool. Like you, you also struggle with this and you found different ways to react to the same things. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a way to like cultivate the same stuff. Like that's, that's what I love about Buddhism. I, it's mm-hmm. cool. I, I don't know that I realized that you also have like a Sangha and all that good stuff. Um, but it's something that I'm pretty close to for the past few years through wild heart meditation center here yeah nice and they're freaking awesome and i was just thinking about how um yeah it just it takes a lot of cultivation i feel like that may actually end up being somewhat of a theme for today now to think about it yes (laughs) like absolutely this is this is going to take practice and this is not going to be like a quick fix sort of thing or oh once you reach this you're like some sort of body and love spiritual, you know, goddess or something. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just get that clear. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of a little, little dukkha, a little suffering perhaps mm-hmm. <laughs> along the way, um, tell us about how you got to fitness, how you got to personal mm. training. And I'm sure there, you know, I say yeah. suffering, but like, I'm sure there were great parts along the way too, but I, I, yeah. I imagine some, some rocky territory as well. Totally. So, so kind of both, right? So I'll kind of go back all the way to childhood, because I think that is really important, as you know, as a therapist, but (laughs) important for our relationship to movement. Um, I never really did sports. I don't consider myself athletic or an athlete. There are certain things that I tend to be good at. I realized this weekend, apparently I'm good at shooting clay targets with a, a 12, 12 gauge <laughs> shotgun. Okay, uh, That's new to me, but in general, really don't consider myself like a sporty person. Didn't do a whole lot of like competitive sports. Um, if anything, we went to quote unquote dirt church with my family, which we would just like go take little weekend adventures outside. We were generally pretty active, but it was just like for fun. Um, and my parents didn't necessarily push me to have to do competitive stuff. Um, so that's kind of the background when I was little. And then I didn't really start 
going to the gym until maybe high school. I did dance for a long time. That was incredibly important for establishing how movement really helped my mental health. So really that's like the deep roots of where, um, I just am so passionate about movement because I remember the, there was like a Friday afternoon. I had some sort of quiz or test that I had like a huge bellyache after. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, I knew <laughs> somewhat the connection between like, Oh, stomach aches and anxiety because my mom was a researcher specifically mm-hmm. on that at the time nice. as a neurogastroenterologist. So wow. Cool. <laughs> I was like, all right. So I kind of knew what was up, but it was cool to then have the tool of like, I think I got to the dance studio like a little bit early and I ended up like dancing around. I was like, whoa, the stomach ache is gone. Mm. And it was just like mind blowing to me that it really could take just some movement to kind of regulate, you know, now that I have the words for it, it's like, oh my gosh, that was a regulating skill. That was really cool. Um, So that's really like the roots of why I was so stoked about movement. Obviously then after... Uh, a little bit, I want to say in high school, mostly went to the gym then uh, for Zumba, did that a whole bunch, had a fantastic time personally. Uh, and then with one of my first exes, he introduced me to weightlifting and it was, mm-hmm. you know, you teach what you know. So it was more like bodybuilding mm-hmm. style, definitely body, you know, body splits. So the classic like back and arms, you know, mm-hmm. or what is it? Bys and tries, chest and back, blah, 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 you know. Leg day, we didn't do a whole bunch. So it kind of cracks me up that I end up being stronger for upper body, which is not usually um, the deal for, for women, Um, Hmm. people socialize as women. It's just like a whole, (laughs) a whole thing where it's like men typically work upper body, women Mm. typically work lower body. Mm -hmm. It's very gendered. Um, So at the end of the day, it's like, okay, cool. I, I kind of learned to feel like I can claim some space in, in gym settings and in, you know, especially strength training settings pretty early on. Uh, but that also meant that it then kind of really went hand in hand with, um, an eating disorder that started to develop Mm. around like, uh, early college, I feel like with that big life transition, you know, it was like, I don't remember like top 10 of my class back in high school. Mm. And you just get dumped into Vanderbilt with like a bunch of other top Mm -hmm. 10 people. Uh, And we're just all, you know, little fish in a big bowl, just trying Mm -hmm. to like figure things out. So that was my brain's way of kind of figuring out how to cope with the stress. And obviously there's so much messaging around the freshman 15, but I honestly don't remember consciously being aware of like, well, I don't want to gain weight. It was Mm. more of just like a, oh, I feel like I need to be a good student in order to be a good student. I need to be healthy. And also like, this is just like a, and with that coupling of like movement regulates me, movement is a de-stressor. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, I'm so stressed. I'm just going to like work out all the time. And yeah. I remember just working out. I, I would describe myself very much as like a lone wolf. Cause you have your own little schedule and your own little specific things you want to do. And so it ended up being really isolating, even though as an introvert, like I still appreciate working out by myself. It was really nice to connect back in um, and do that. It's that same kind of like dropping in feeling that we did at the beginning um, together. But at the same time, towards the end, I was like, man, I really, I like <laughs> really miss community. And I think around the time, maybe like late 2015, that's when I went in for therapy to kind of deal with eating disorder stuff, which I'm so proud of mm. past bar for even recognizing there was ever yes. something going on. I just remember being like, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't be even stressed about food. <laughs> right. 
maybe I should talk to somebody about that. And that was incredibly helpful. And I think around the same time, I just like naturally started deconstructing these ideas of, you know, I need to have a specific schedule Mm -hmm. and specific goals constantly around movement, even though they were performance goals. Like I think around the same time I started CrossFit, which, you know, again, it's, it was kind of a bittersweet, you know, both and situation of, it was really nice to go away from the bodybuilding, like strength training stuff that was so aesthetics focused to, you know, where we're like measuring our body fat percentage Mm. and stuff to just like, Hey, I'm going to walk into this class, this CrossFit class, not know what, you know, what the heck is a Turkish getup? I don't know. It's just (laughs) like, it was random words on a whiteboard for me, but it just felt like it was a lot of learning, a lot more like performance-based But even that kind of went off the deep end where I was just constantly being like, well, I need to get my mile time down. I need to get my squat up and da, 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 da. And, um, and like, I do remember being anxious about rest days and being like, I'm so bored and blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. so sore all the time. And, um, yeah, so that was kind of my life around that time. But I think as recovery started, I definitely veered more towards like, you know, group stuff, um, social things. So I started running, um, where they call it like mud runs, tough mutters or whatever, anything that had to do more with like teamwork and group things was such a blast. Um, and around that time, like, right, I think it was December, 2015. So it was like right around the same time as well was when I started teaching group classes at get fit 615, which it just kind of like, really influenced me for the next five mm. years because it's one of one of very very few anti-diet gyms in the entire mm-hmm. country if not the entire world so I'm extremely blessed to have had that kind of um, environment to teach in and grow up in as a as a very new teacher um, mm. or instructor so it was that was huge and I ended up teaching there until late 2020 so like December of 2020 a full full five years there and it was awesome um, and yeah, that gym kind of ended up kind of growing with me. I remember at the time, I'm sure when I started teaching there, I was probably still counting macros. And I think mm-hmm. the the previous owner was still uh, doing some like whole 30 stuff. And mm-hmm. over time, things changed. So I think it's important to, again, like we talked on the beginning, this like cultivation practice of like, we didn't just come into this just being like, Oh, my God, I already know. I'm a right. intuitive eater and blah, blah, blah. Like I've never been a dieter. And it's like, no, we probably came into this anti-diet or non-diet mindset because we've experienced dieting to some extent. Just like, oh, there was something that had to be dismantled. Indeed. And it's like, yeah, we were part of that at some point. Um, Just like, even though now uh, my approach to the way that I do fitness and the way that I teach clients fitness is so different. Yeah. There was a time where I personally was you know, taking my body composition, being very, very focused mm-hmm. on that, having that be my top priority or be having that on the front burner. And, and I saw where that led me and I'm like, oh, that wasn't worth it. And so it's nice to, to know where that leads, at least for me personally, mm-hmm. and be like, yeah, you know what? I want to place something else on the front burner or on the top priority of my list instead. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I ended up being the non-diet trainer now. Yeah. Well, a couple of things you said about the eating disorder piece were really important. Like one being that, well, and I guess kind of the combo of eating and eating disorder exercise stuff, right. Um, that 
even though it wasn't necessarily super image based at the time or weight based mm-hmm. at the time, um, that it still became really rigid, um, either like obligatory or excessive or both. And so like that recognition for people listening that like, it doesn't have to be an intentional weight loss thing or intentional body image thing for it to become problematic. And also you, you said that you kind of realized at some point, like I shouldn't be this preoccupied, this obsessive about these things. Um, and so it doesn't have to be that you're like, you know, a coat hanger or people in your life are like, Oh my God, you're so sick. You, you need help. Like it doesn't have to reach that extent for you to really have an issue that you need help with. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, um, and I know I kind of sped past that, but it was, uh, from what we understand now with, you know, talking to different therapists and dietitians, it was probably worth thinking about that. that. And even though I didn't consciously think about like, oh, well, it's about being this amount of weight or whatever, uh, that I'm like, of course, that what, what that's what it was about to some extent. You don't always just see it, or you don't always think about those are the thoughts at the forefront. As someone who's always been a straight sized, you know, thin person, I've gained weight during the pandemic, and I'm still straight sized. Like I don't experience fat phobia or different accessibility issues mm-hmm. um, because of my body weight or body size. Um, and that's just something that I'm looking back now at where it's like, Oh, interesting that even in, you know, a recovered body where I kind of dealt with my relationship with food and and found intuitive eating in some form or fashion. And it still is kind of, you know, it's still there. Like I I want to always kind of give compassion to the fact that those thoughts will kind of, uh, you know, arrive and be like, oh my gosh, they're back here again. Um, or anytime that I get stressed, it's like, oh my gosh, I noticed that that sense of control of wanting to control my food or my body, or, you know, it just gets projected onto that, um, again. And so it's kind of the same, you know, the same patterns that come up, but I can just deal with them differently. So I think ultimately I'm just trying to say like, yeah, it's (laughs) super helpful to get help. Um, super helpful to go through the process of recovery and have, you know, the privilege of access to, to people that could actually help me, Um, and at the same time, just because I've been through that process, it doesn't mean that like these systems of oppression have suddenly stopped existing, um, and that they have like no, no sway on me or any, any other person. Um, definitely they're still (laughs) very much present. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I kind of think about how my eating, eating disorder was just kind of like, yes, a personal way to cope with stress, um, and cope with, you know, big life changes and things like that. But at the same time, they're just like a manifestation of the systems of oppression that were yep. existing in together in this like weird water. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so then finding your way into recovery, I imagine that you really started to change not just your relationship with food and your body, but also with movement itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want to talk about health at every size. I want to talk about joyful movement. Let's start with cool. health at every size. Like what yeah. does that 
give us a little bit of a background on what that means. Yeah. So, um, my best description of health at every size is first of all, not healthy at every size per Mm. se. I think that's the first thing that people kind of jump to where they're like, but, but, but this person can't be healthy or this person Mm -hmm. isn't healthy. And then my follow-up to that is, um, everyone has the capacity to access health on their terms. And so what that means to me is really increasing the focus, first of all, from simply weight into health behaviors. So things like that we can actually do because weight is a noun and not a verb. It's not something that you can do or not do. It's just something that exists. Um, And then following that is people can also choose or not choose to do certain behaviors. Um, I think about people that um, do or don't have access to do those health behaviors. So you might say, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, I want someone to eat more vegetables. That's a health behavior that has been measured to improve our health, blah, blah, blah. But then you have to also take into consideration so many other social factors that go into Mm -hmm. what does it mean or what do you need to have you know, fresh acts or, you know, easy access to fresh foods, that kind of thing. Um, and this is definitely my, my kind of public health brain coming to the forefront <laughs> with, with all of that. Cause I think it's really important as a trainer to understand, yes, there's certain like health behaviors that you can do hydrate, eat, you know, a variety of different foods. Um, your relationship with that food is, is balanced and, and compassionate, just all of these different things, getting sleep, blah, blah, blah. But you also then have to take that um, in the lens of kind of a, a bigger, larger public health perspective of like, okay, well, what do these people have financial access to, physical access to? Does it feel safe to, for example, if you tell somebody to walk more, fantastic, sounds like a nice, like low intensity, fairly accessible thing. However, if their neighborhood isn't safe enough to do so, doesn't have sidewalks, um, just mm-hmm. any number of factors that may not be the healthiest thing for them. So health is really context dependent. I think that's what health every size to me means is that it's going to be a lot more individualized than we probably have thought before and a lot more context dependent. Um, Meaning like you have to take the person, not just like out of their environment and just say, well, this is your blood pressure. This is this, this is that. Um, you have to really look at, okay, what environment are they growing up in? What is their, you know, what are their genetics too? We can always mm-hmm. kind of forget about, you know, the genetic component or it's like, I want to say, don't quote me on this over a hundred different factors that influence weight. And it's not mm-hmm. just how many calories you eat and how much you exercise. That is right. far more simplified than we could, uh, imagine for sure. So, um, yeah, that's what health energy size means to me. I'm sure that there are different definitions of it for sure. So I don't want to be gatekeeping around what it is and what it isn't, but that's how I approach it with my clients and myself. Yeah, no, that's a really helpful way of framing it. And we'll have some links in the show notes, including to Lindo Bacon's book and work around health at every size. Um, Part of what I think of too with it is like that a lot of things that we meaning sort of culturally and even, you know, the medical field have previously assumed to be Mm -hmm. true or assumed to be correlated that we can't necessarily assume those things. So for instance, 
you know, assuming that if someone just exercises, quote, the right amount and eats what they are supposed to eat, that they will be able to attain a body that fits within this certain, you know, quote unquote, healthy range for their height and age and all of that, Mm. because that is patently false for a number of reasons. Like you said, all these other variables that impact weight um, and that whether someone is able to and chooses to do certain health promoting things um, Mm. that they can do those things and still not lose weight. Right. Correct. People can have the experience of like, you know, oh, I do want to be making sure Mm. my cholesterol is in a healthy level. I do want to make sure my blood pressure, my blood sugar, like all these things that can impact my longevity, my quality of life. I want to work with those things. And so traditionally it would be like, okay, we'll just lose weight then. (laughs) And for some people, you know, the behaviors of eating more variety, et cetera, of working with, you know, any disordered eating stuff of, of, of adding joyful movement might lead to losing weight. But for other people, if they're kind of at where their natural set point is or close to it, they can still do things that can impact all of those other, uh, biometrics in a positive way, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that the outcome of these behaviors can be can be losing weight, it can be maintaining weight, or it can be gaining weight. Mm -hmm. For different people, it's going to be different things. And I feel like all that we see, it like, it breaks my heart. And I have a lot, a lot more compassion for these different like before and after photos where somebody Mm -hmm. is like, you know, in the before photo, they're in a larger body. um, But then they might also be describing other stuff that they're going through that, you know, they're depressed, maybe they're out of a job, maybe they didn't have a lot of social support, other things that impact your overall health and well being. And then they go to, you know, the after where they're like happy and thinner. And they're like, I did all these things to kind of care for myself in this time. And it's like, that's, I want to celebrate that journey. But why do we then have to make it about what your body did or didn't do during that time? Mm. Like, why can't it be a before and after where you have done those things, but maybe you didn't lose any weight, maybe you gained weight. And Mm -hmm. I just feel like we don't want to talk about those other options. We only want to talk about, oh, the before and after where you've lost a bunch of weight, but also you've also like gained some sort of self-care because then if I criticize that, you know, like, Hey, you're just putting thin bodies on a pedestal yet again. um, Then it feels like I'm criticizing your, your internal journey around like, you know, taking care of yourself or prioritizing yourself. Um, so I feel like those, you know, health behaviors ultimately like one, it's your choice. You get to do it or you don't have to do it. Health doesn't always have to be your number one priority at all mm-hmm. times. That's a big conversation that I have with, with clients and even with myself, you know, during the past year, I've mostly been focusing on like building my business and work and <laughs> a variety of different things, my mental health over my just like physical health. And mm-hmm. that's fine. Uh, it doesn't need to be in slot number one at the top every time. Um, and I think that's something we also kind of overlook because we, again, equate health to our physical health, period. And then mm-hmm. like nothing else around it for sure. Yeah. So, with movement, if we are wanting to 
maybe heal a relationship with movement and shall we say is, is commonly referred to as exercise. Not that that's a bad word. We'll get to that. But (laughs) if we want to come from maybe a history of rigid or compulsive, obligatory, like aesthetic based or goals based. And again, we can unpack some of like, is that some of that stuff ever okay? But, and, and to find a relationship with movement that feels good or this idea of Mm. joyful movement, tell us how you sort of describe joyful movement to someone who's like, I don't think I've ever experienced that. Yeah. So to be joyful movement, um, is really a radical way to approach movement in a way that focuses and prioritizes your pleasure over other things. So like you mentioned, aesthetics, goals, um, all of that is kind of put aside for now. Doesn't mean that that needs to be like gone forever. Sometimes that we hold really tightly to that, like, oh, but what if, you know, I look like I've let myself go? What if I become Mm. less fit? If I prioritize my own pleasure and my own joy um, over these other things? So I just say, you know, let's put those aside for now and let kind of pleasure come to the forefront. So Mm. when, when we talk about things of like, oh, move in ways that feel good, that may not have been something that we've even been taught to kind of tap into. So things like tapping into, the way that your body feels during before, during, or after a movement too. Sometimes it can feel, um, you know, kind of challenging during movement, but then afterwards, maybe you feel better. Maybe, you know, after a walk, I think about, you know, times that I've been depressed and my brain is like, I don't want to do anything. Just, just don't. But I know somewhere in the back of my head that maybe if I try walking outside for a little bit, that could be five minutes, 10 minutes. I just get like some sunshine on my face and I come back and I just ask myself a question. Okay, well, how do you feel now? Um, mm-hmm. Has that feeling changed in any way? And sometimes I will differentiate this from the whole, like you never regret a workout or only the one <laughs> you've missed or something like that. <laughs> I have totally had times where I've gone to a class or tried to do something and I come back and I ask myself that question afterwards. And I'm like, that didn't feel great. I actually feel mm. somewhat worse or about the same. And that's also another, you know, an option that can happen after movement. And then, you know, um, what your movements that you don't like are. That's as simple as that. It's like, cool. That's, I, I like to think about it as like a red light movement and, you know, a yellow light and a green yes. light movement. We try to find and cultivate the green light movements, the ones that we know that we can, they're either easily accessible. It doesn't take a whole lot of energy. Sometimes that's like, you know, the, um, the low hanging fruit that just like, okay, that feels doable today. Um, whether you're just like, don't have a lot of energy or a lot of spoons or a lot of time. That's my green light right there. Just feels a little bit easier to get into yellow light stuff is maybe something I would call more like tolerable movement. So for a lot of folks where joyful movement just feels like out of the, out of the universe for them, tolerable movement is something that I got from um, Linda, who is, I always remember her um, Instagram handle. And I'll give you that later for the show notes. Cause I always just remember her as Linda. <laughs> She's wonderful. <laughs> and she had a wonderful podcast with Shari Davidi about tolerable movement. I thought that was so important to talk about it's just like a neutral thing. You don't have to be, you know, same example of this walk. I don't have to be on this walk, like skipping and singing and just like having <laughs> the time of my life, just like in ecstasy or something. It just means, 
hey, this didn't make me feel worse. And sometimes yeah. that's, that's enough. Like it didn't make me feel worse afterwards. It just, I feel kind of the same about neutral. Cool. Um, it's doable. And then the red light mm-hmm. movements are obviously stuff where you you're done with it. And you're like, wow, I feel more mad, more dysregulated, mm-hmm. um, more shame or guilt filled or whatever. And, and that's definitely a red light movement. And that's something that let's say for a lot of people that might be running, it might be burpees. Mm. It might be, you know, the classics, right? Some people yoga is their red light movement. And if they're just like, this is not for me. And it Mm -hmm. could be that it's a red light movement for a long time, you know, for the rest of their lives. They're like, I can go without running the rest of my life. Um, or it could eventually become something like a a yellow light or maybe Mm -hmm. even a green light, depending on your approach. Uh, but it doesn't have to be. And so I think sometimes it's nice to just let the red light movements just be red light movements of like, Hey, I don't like moving my body in that way. And that's fine. I love that so much. Also, I use the same kind of language when I'm talking Mm -hmm. about like sexuality and people who mm -hmm. are like working on sort of like reestablishing what it means for them to be a sexual person in in or outside of a relationship, um, yeah. that there are going to be some things that feel a little scary and the yellows it's yeah. okay. It's okay to pursue a yellow, but if it's a red, yes. no, don't, don't make yourself do that. So yes. when you were just saying that too, I was like, with the example of burpees, mm. uh, I'm just going to say to everyone, you have permission to never do another burpee in the rest of your life. Now, if you like burpees, totally. great, but great. I, you know, I think when I realized that like, cause there is that whole idea of, the hierarchical, even cueing during fitness, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you need to, if you need to take the modification, you can then step your feet back. I know it's like, correct. But yeah. number one, number two, um, this mm. is how I do burpees is it's extremely slow and there's no bouncing involved. And that is yes. the only way I will ever do burpees ever again. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it comes down to kind of coming back to joyful movement, it feel, it will feel really clunky and weird because it, for a lot of us, it's new. We're not taught to think about our movements in that way. Um, unless maybe, you know, depending on your childhood, maybe you experienced it back then, uh, where maybe you felt fairly safe. Maybe it was before the time of getting enrolled in competitive sports. Maybe it was before the time of even, being too aware of what your body looks like as you're moving, you haven't had those, you know, those thoughts instilled in you just yet, or they're just kind of festering underneath the surface, or they're just starting to get piled on a little bit. Um, I definitely like the concept of like in Buddhism, where you think about where it's not that we're internally bad. Like if I think about internally, there's like a Buddha inside all of us. And I just kind of think about it as like a gold sphere or something, right? Like visually, that's what it looks like to me. There's this like, you know, purity and joy and something going on inside of all of us, we all have the capacity, but then there are all these other things that are just kind of plastered onto it over time. Um, and especially if you're, you know, a kid who's already in a bigger body, that shit will get plastered on real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like all of us will have that eventually, but then it's knowing that it's inside of us to be able to access, you know, just like, you know, being able to run around. And I, I, that's another thing where I think there's a big misconception around joyful movement is that it has to be really easy and really gentle. And it can be, but if you look at kids or if you look at, you know, I have my little pity 
mama over here she is so funny and she'll go into you know a full-on sprint and just be like zooming around (laughs) and that's clearly hard work (laughs) like kids will be doing all sorts of stuff and it's not that joyful movement has to be really easy it just means that it's joyful to you so different people will have different things that they really enjoy same Mm -hmm. with you know sexual exploration and sexual health where it's like yeah, some people really will want to do something that's more challenging, more difficult, whatever. And they're like, oh my God, this is great. Like, I yeah. love the feeling of feeling challenged. Yeah. Um, some people, on the other hand, will be like, you know what? That feels like a whole lot of energy that I don't like expending. Um, would rather just kind of like stretch and do some yoga, do some breathing, um, you know, play with my kids and just like, chill, do that. Fantastic. And then there's the whole diversity in between. Mm -hmm. And also sometimes some days I'm on one end of the Mm -hmm. spectrum, other days I'm on the other end. So it's really cool to, to be able to think about, you know, you just have so many more choices. And I think at the end of the day, it's really about like, you have more choices than what um, a typical group class roster or Instagram Mm. will tell you that you can only choose between strength training, you know, CrossFit or some sort of circuit thing yoga, running, or I don't know, something else. There's like only mm-hmm. five choices. Peloton. And if you don't, yeah, Peloton, exactly. Like whatever the the new thing is, then that's, that's what you do. Um, and if you don't like any of those things, then you're just like not a fit person. And uh, there's like no hope for you. <laughs> or, right. or also suck it up and suppress your feelings about all of that. And just like do it anyway, even though you hate it, or even though just it feels like a chore and it feels like, you know, another thing to add to your to your list, which is already exhausting for so many people, you know, living in capitalism, working jobs that are you know, paying them mm-hmm. enough uh, with kids. It's yeah, <laughs> it's so much to think about. And so I just want people to have more permission to have more choices, have more choices in what movement looks like for them, what choices they want to make of what kind of movement is feels good. Again, going back to that green light example, Mm -hmm. um, and even adding just like one movement to that green light is awesome. It's way better than I feel like what we're taught, um, from like the, God, the presidential fitness test. I feel like that one, it always kind of comes back to a really key memory for a lot of us of our first interaction with like structured movement Mm. um, and just being taught like, Oh, the only movement that you need to get tested on or to explore is the running the mile, uh, the sit and reach test, the crunches, and then like pull-ups or something like it just, and then we're going to take this thing and squeeze you to measure your body fat. (laughs) Yes. And it's not like, uh, I can go off it, the deep end, but the maintenance based podcast episode on that is fantastic. Cool. But it's just like distilled into just a few movements. You get graded on it. Are you good? Are you bad? You know, are you the worst? (laughs) Are you the worst (laughs) of the class? Um, and some people might just naturally be better at one thing or another. They didn't practice it. But what I really love seeing in people and seeing in myself is the things that we can cultivate. Like, let's say I am really interested in, I don't know, archery or something. It's a movement. Not when I practiced mm-hmm. a whole bunch, probably wouldn't be great at it right now. Um, or like roller skating or something. But if I am interested, if I'm like intrigued enough and curious enough to be like, you know what, there's something about archery that like really gets me going. Cool. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be good at it to like be interested in it. 
but if I practice and cultivate it, I might get better. And also I don't have to suddenly be the best either. Like I don't have to be like, oh my God, I'm interested in archery. I'm going to be number one in the world at archery. Like, mm-hmm. no, you can just enjoy it for the sake of practicing a thing. Um, there's something about the movement that maybe I'm, I'm imagining that archery is probably really like grounding. It could be really present because you have to really control your breath. Mm-hmm. I think about like the qualities of that movement could be really cool. You probably do archery maybe by yourself. Not, it's not a team sport as far as I know. Um, so maybe somebody who doesn't like doing a whole lot of like extroverted team things might be drawn to something like archery to just think about the qualities of that sport or of that movement. Um, and just know, again, you've got so many choices that can be catered to you specifically, and it doesn't have to be like the top five most popular things that people are doing right now in in the fitness industry. Yeah. Yeah. A number of years back, I went through a phase of doing, um, aerial hoop, which aside from, Mm. you know, the fact that you're like hanging all of your body weight on one or two limbs from like a one and a half inch ring of metal and bruising yourself accordingly, um, was really fun because I just, I, I've always enjoyed movement of many different kinds that are, are not, have nothing to do with ball sports. Um, Mm -hmm. but I, I really loved that. I was like, I had this reason to get stronger. I was like, I can't do this Mm. next trick if I'm not stronger. So like now I actually want to go and do some of those, you know, calisthenics or whatever, so that I can get stronger to be able to do this trick as opposed to just like Mm. doing them for the sake of doing them. So correct. Yeah. And there's some cool, like long-term payoff there too. And ultimately that's why I get so mind boggled around why we focus so much on weight loss because the outcome is kind of indeterminate for a lot of us Mm -hmm. or kind of short lived. We might accomplish it. And then, you know, we go back to our actual like regular eating patterns or movement patterns. And it's like, Oh, that didn't last very long. We're on this loop. Um, so it's short lived. The payoff isn't that great. Um, (laughs) and so, and it's not also, we don't ever get that like immediate boost. I feel like from Mm -hmm. focusing on weight loss, like you do, it's really like funny to think about it now. Um, and it's really common. I feel like on social media still where people are like, haha, I ate one salad and worked out once. Why am I not skinny? And I'm like, yeah, because you're, you're focusing on movement in this way where it's like a long-term possible indeterminate result possibly. Um, and that feels really boring. That doesn't like interest me. That doesn't keep me excited about coming back. It's just like, Oh, maybe one day, And, um, instead I would much rather focus on like, probably when you went to aerial hoops, you probably had some short-term payoff of like, oh, I'm with other people. I'm having a good time. You know, there's some like short-term boost, like with your mood or energy or something like that, that kept you coming back for the short-term, like immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also you had this pairing of like, okay, now I can also add a long-term goal to it. Like I want to be able to do this trick or this move that keeps you coming back for even longer Mm -hmm. and it's way more sustainable. So even if you miss like a couple of weeks, you're not suddenly like, oh my gosh, I've fallen off the wagon, you know, whatever. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm just excited to come back to class in another week or something. And I'll keep coming back because it's fun and I have some long-term goal with it. Cool. Right. Right. So one question that I have that I'm sure other folks um, also have around this is like, if you're like, okay, 
this health at every size, joyful movement thing sounds great. Like I'm on board ethically, like philosophically. Yes, that feels good. Mm -hmm. So is it wrong for someone to ever, if, if they're philosophically aligned with that to ever want to have an aesthetic based fitness goal of like, Mm. I like to feel toned or I like to, you know, like, I feel like it's so challenging Mm. because it's at what point are you like, no, sorry, you don't really get to have a foot in both camps here versus like, Hey, like if it's done sort of in this certain way or approached in a certain way, Mm. like those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. What do you think? So I feel like my answer has changed a lot on this and maybe, you know, one day it will change again, (laughs) but right now I feel like, um, there is something to be said about wanting to hold on to, um, this idea that you can kind of have both. You can Mm. still be really, really attached to these like fat phobic thoughts about what health and, your weight mean and that, Oh, well, I just like feeling toned. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, what about it makes you feel good? What, you know, is there something else? Because I think about this. I mean, I went through the same process with like shaving my legs or something. Mm. It's like, what about shaving? Like makes me feel good. Do I just like the process or have it? I've just been socialized to have to shave my legs since a young age. And, you know, there's all kinds of stuff around like people in pubic hair and like people in visible body hair and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So you just think about that. And it doesn't mean that you're going to have an answer right away, but it's worth dropping that in the bucket and just kind of letting it sit. Just like, Oh, interesting. Why do you still have this aesthetic goal? Um, And what would it feel like to let go of it for some time? Would that cause a lot of stress? If yes, maybe that's even more reason to step away from it. Um, Another layer to it that I have been introduced to thanks to a ton of fat activists and a ton Mm. of BIPOC folks is this idea of like privilege is multi-layered. And then if you are, let's say I'm speaking for myself, a thin cis white woman, you know, plus all these other identities that I hold. me losing weight or me having some aesthetic goal is just reinforcing this idea that, oh, thinner is better. Mm-hmm. I still have some amount of privilege in this body now, like going from somewhat soft looking, but still thin to just like more toned looking, like losing some body fat and having the muscles appear more visibly um, is just like continuing to reinforce this idea that, oh, body fat percentage is very important. And, you know, the aesthetics of looking thin or, you know, adhering to whatever the beauty standard is right now is really important. Uh, But I'm not in harm. I'm not getting oppressed in this body right now. Mm -hmm. I'm just maybe uncomfortable in it because of the things that I've been taught about what I should look like and what is bad, which we're over and over in different varieties of ways taught that being fat is bad and being as far away from being fat is the best thing you can do. Um, However, then the caveat is if I have someone who is already in a bigger body, let's say, you know, there's like, you know, infinite fat or, you know, kind of like small fat, if you're kind of on that scale of fatness, the further you are towards like, you know, being a fatter individual, 
um, the less privilege you have in your body. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that if by losing weight, you would gain maybe more access to things like clothes or medical equipment or, you know, less harm and bias makes perfect sense to me. Right. You know, it's like, oh, right. you want actually to have, you know, a, a size like whatever, um, that is actually going to be carried in stores or even carried period, um, makes sense. You want to be able to have access to clothing or you want to have a little less, you know, weight bias when you're out in public or something like that also makes sense. So yeah. I've come to learn probably over the past, like couple years, maybe, um, to really not put everyone in the same bucket with intentional weight loss. I feel like that is maybe one of the biggest things that I've learned because I personally have yeah. some stuff around it where I'm like, well, for me, it was really harmful and, you know, really rooted in all kinds of like, you know, shitty systems and, and things that I have been taught. But at the same time, what's right for me is not going to be right for every single person. We do have to consider, you know, people having autonomy over what they do with their body. Um, and so in those cases, I'm like, obviously, I want to make sure that people are doing it in a way that's not going to be harmful for them. Yeah. But again, like I'm not in control of their bodies. It's not my yeah. responsibility necessarily. Um, but I am going to be more mindful as someone who is a fitness professional to try to at least like make sure there isn't like, I don't know, just blatantly incorrect information out there. Maybe that's my Enneagram one speaking mm -hmm. a little bit. <laughs> just like, Hey, maybe like, don't take like uh, you know, all these like weird supplements that haven't been tested and, <laughs> you know, fasting or not eating enough for, for what you need to fuel your mm -hmm. body, like maybe consider not doing that. Um, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, that's their body. So I think that's a very extended answer to, can you have your, you know, your foot in the intentional weight loss space and in like yeah. the intuitive eating health at every size anti-diet space as well. Um, and unfortunately I see it a lot and it probably makes me the most mad when I see a lot of like thin white women in the wellness space have both feet, you know, in one, in, yeah. in one of both camps where they're like, Oh, lose weight with intuitive eating. Um, and I'm like, or as Gwyneth Paltrow would say intuitive fasting, <laughs> intuitive fasting. Yeah. I mean, the, the way down documentary on what's her name, uh, that's yeah. here in, in literally yeah, in my sure. County <laughs> down the road, probably less than three miles from my house did exactly that where she was like, mm -hmm. you know, all foods, she kind of was talking about all foods fit and, you know, no food is a bad food. And I was like, whoa, you like almost hit the nail there. <laughs> until, <laughs> but until, um, you said that, you know, essentially thinness is thinness is equal to godliness. And that's just yeah. not the case. Um, and it was extremely harmful, you know, to mm -hmm. so many people and so traumatic. So, it's, I don't, for that reason, I think that is a perfect example of where it really fails the test. Yeah. It's like, right. Yeah, where you this. like, you are talking out of both sides of your mouth. And, and I also appreciate the nuance though, where you mentioned like when, when it becomes an issue of like someone is going, yeah, but I could have more privilege in the world. I could have more power in the world. If, yeah. you know, if I were to be working toward this, if I could do it in a healthy way and it sucks. And, you know, especially as yeah. people who walk around with that kind of thin privilege, like we can continue advocating 
for things to change, but also right. who the hell am I to tell someone who is in a larger body? Like, mm, that's like not healthy to like want to lose. Yeah. Like, no, that's not that's, body positive. That's of another you. place like- that I, yes, that's another place I see like thin, especially white women just sort of being on their high horse and being like, mm. oh, all intentional weight loss is bad. Like, don't speak for someone who's having a different lived experience yeah. than you. Indeed. Yeah. And I think that's where like having real conversations with people um, and not putting people in a box, you know, mm-hmm. just like, oh, well, all, you know, it's, it's harmful to say like, oh, if someone is a thin white woman, then she for sure has like an eating disorder or something. Right. Um, it excludes all of the other people that also have eating disorders and get vastly mm-hmm. underrepresented and under, you know, underdiagnosed or underrecognized for that. And that's not helpful either. <laughs> so it's, I just think about that a lot where, um, you know, I ultimately, I just want, I just want so much more nuance in these conversations, yes. and so many more different perspectives, because it really doesn't tell the full story. Like I can tell my story and like how I arrived here in the fitness space and, um, how I practice things now. And I would, you know, love for that to grow, which is why I'm so adamant about like promoting other, you know, anti or non-diet trainers, gyms, um, therapists, dietitians, doctors, they're easily the hardest to find. Uh, But it is there so that if people want that paradigm, they want that perspective, and they want that approach, that it is available. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's super helpful for a lot of people. Some people might not care either way to have a weight neutral approach. Cool. Awesome. In my head, I can't imagine how, you know, I wouldn't be somehow triggered into like really shitty thoughts and spiraling if I like counted Mm. macros again, but you know, (laughs) some, maybe someone out there can count macros and not get an eating disorder or disordered eating habits. I just don't know them. (laughs) Right. Right. That's what I always say. Like if it works for you, I mean, I guess go for it, but like, yeah, you would be in the minority. Um, right. To circle back real quick too, to the aesthetic thing. Like, I think when you question people more about that, including Mm -hmm. like, you know, our past selves, um, you get to that. It's not even about that. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. like it might be that I like when I feel stronger, cool. You can feel stronger and the look of your body may not change. Um, you you can build that muscle. Um, also I want to, well, I just would feel more confident. Okay. So that is a Mm. very, um, like building your castle on sand way to, to increase confidence. So how about we talk about some other ways of reaching out? So totally where then you have to upkeep that just to keep your, you know, your sandcastle from like falling apart. (laughs) Yeah. That wouldn't be great. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's such a great point of it feels very similar to the way that we say like, Oh, I'm feeling fat. And I'm like, well, that's not really a description of a good feeling. You're maybe describing like, I'm feeling bloated or I'm feeling unattractive today or whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. but you're just using a totally different word to describe it. And maybe similar when people are just like, well, I just want to like get fitter and lose some weight. And it's like, well, what do you mean by that? Like what, I mean, even getting fitter is very broad and very different for everybody else. Um, And, you know, I think it's not just for the sake of like smart goals or whatever, but for the sake of making it really clear of like what, you know, what is fitness doing for you in this time? And for some people might be like, you know what, I want to be able to get 
on and off the floor more easily because I have little kids, I have toddlers yeah. that I want to make sure that I can like attend to and play with and stuff like that and really be involved in their lives more, you know, more actively instead of just kind of sitting on the sidelines for Functional it. Functional movement. Um, yeah, functional movement. And I think people kind of forget that 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 is fitness as well. It's not just, oh my gosh, can I lift this heavy bar over my head? Um, <laughs> and that's totally fine. You don't have to, if that's not interesting to you, like I'm someone yeah. who just finds strength training interesting for the sake of strength training. Um, but you may just be like, you know what, I'm doing these movements so that I can do the things that totally different things outside the gym um, more easily than I did before. Yeah. And that's it, you know? Love it. Amazing. Well, I could talk to you for hours longer. This has been amazing. Um, thank you so much. Tell us where people can find you online. That'll be in the intro and in the show notes as well, but tell us now and anything you want to share with us about what you have going on. Great question. So you can definitely find me at Instagram, uh, at non diet underscore trainer. It's where I'm probably going to be the most, but I also have a website, the non diet trainer.com. Um, and you can also reach me on my email, uh, the non diet trainer at gmail.com. That's also a great way to reach me if you have more specific questions. Um, other than that, yeah, I'm around for sure. And definitely not on other social media things. Cause I try to limit that a little bit. Good. And you have a program coming up in the new year. I do. So it's getting a little bit of a revamp for 2022. The joyful movement program has just finished round number six back in like October, beginning of November of 2021. Yeah. I had to make sure I got that year. Right. Um, (laughs) so we'll be doing round seven in kind of late to mid January. So more details are going to come out on that at the start of January, which is really nice. If you're looking for still doing something like I really thrive on that, like, Oh my gosh, it's like a new year. I like that new energy in the midst of a very dull winter. Um, it feels really nice for me. And so if you also thrive off of that energy, feel free to kind of let the first couple of weeks of weird diet culture stuff kind of pass. And then you can join in the, in the joyful movement program instead. Amazing. Thank you so much. Everybody go check out non-diet trainer and thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you feel moved to share it with someone you think would love it, that would mean so much to me for show notes, as well as a transcription of this and previous episodes, head over to www.gaiacenter.co. That's G-A-I-A center.co. You can follow us on Instagram at the Gaia Center and follow me at Val K. Martin, V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter. Look for the link on our website where we'll share about groups and events we're offering locally in Nashville, as well as tips and resources from our therapists that we hope will be valuable and relevant wherever you may be listening from. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.